Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to a new season, year, whatever, of Daily Gospel. We're excited to have a lot more material we're going to be putting out this year. And one of the things we wanted to do is touch on a theological topic every week. And so for the first quarter of the year, we're going to be focusing on uh, what's called theology proper, really just studying God himself. Who is God? What is the Trinity? What does it mean to be Father, Son, Spirit? All these things. They're, they're basics of Christianity, but they're also things that I think a lot of Christians overlook and don't understand very well. So we're going to be digging in with some, some specific uh, videos, one each week. And I'm here with Jonathan Pasizna, who has a very hard to spell name. Yeah, that's uh, right. But I think I, I can usually get it right. It's got a C and a Z in there, snuck mm-hmm. in there. Um, Jonathan, what do you do at the church? Tell, tell everyone who you are if they don't know who you are. Yeah, so I'm a ministry resident, and ministry I lead... Ministry slave. Ministry slave, that's right. <laughs> and I serve, I lead the nursing home ministry. So what we do is we do a church service for dif- different nursing homes in the Santa Cruz area. Yeah, awesome ministry, reaching out to a lot of people who are in need, and definitely needed because, you know, for two years, we were kind of, everyone was kind of banned from nursing homes. It was like total isolation for these folks. Yeah, totally. So very sad thing, and it's good to be able to move in there, minister to people, love on people. And also, you got like a team of, of young guys who preach, right? And you got a te- some teams that do, or individuals that do worship as well. Yeah, we have, we've given a lot of opportunities for newer guys that are trying to learn how to preach. I yeah. think we've had three or four guys do their first sermon at a nursing home ministry, and then a lot of people doing worship, leading worship, even just members at our church being able to evangelize to the residents is awesome. Great experience yeah, that's for them. Awesome. Good, man. Yeah, my, my first uh, sermons were in front of youth. Very different crowd than old folks. Yeah, very uh, different. <laughs> but I feel like old folks are probably a little bit more um, affirming than like a yes. middle schooler would be. Yeah. They're stoked we're just there, so it's yeah. a great way to start. <laughs> and I, I mean, one of, one of the homes you're in is a memory care. So yeah. if you if you fail miserably, the people are going to forget anyway. So yeah, that's it's, right. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, okay, so we're today we're going to get into the topic of the Trinity. So I'm I'm excited to dig into this a little bit. Yeah, the Trinity. A lot of people have many questions about the Trinity. You know, what is it? How does it make sense? How can there be one God, three persons? So let's start with. What is the Trinity, first yeah. of all? Okay, yeah, good. So that it is the doctrine, and I think a lot of people kind of kind of have an understanding of like the one in three thing, but it's the doctrine that there is one God in three persons. So um, one God, one unified God that's in perfect, unbroken unity, but also in three persons. So there's Father, Son, and Spirit are these three persons. Each one of them is fully God, but they also, you know, have this this eternal harmonious relationship. So one of the things to really understand with this, and again, we're talking about one of the biggest ideas ever. So our time is limited. So yeah. if you have something to add to this conversation that's not heretical, put it in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. But um, what we're saying here, it's very important to understand, is that not that there's there's three gods and one god, but that there's one god in three persons. So to, to put it in algebra terms for you math people, there's one uh, X and three Y. So we're not saying there's one X and three X. We're not saying one equals three. We're saying there's one God with three persons. There are different aspects of who God is. 
So that's very important to understand. We're not, it's not, we're not talking about a mathematical impossibility. Um, and I heard someone recently explain it in terms of the what and the who. Now, with any explanation of the Trinity, you're not going to be comprehensive. You're not going to be, it's not going to be uh, adequate, I guess, to really explain it. But I feel like this is a helpful way to understand that there's different aspects we're speaking of. Mm-hmm. And what this person was saying was that each person has a what and a who. So for me, I have multiple what's about me. I, like I'm, I am multiple things. I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, et cetera, et cetera. But I have one who. I'm, I'm Brandon, right? That's, just, that's who I am. There's no, no multiple who's. And uh, this person was explaining in, with an illustration of Optimus Prime, which was helpful for me <laughs> as a kid from the 90s. That's um, good. That's Optimus good. Prime, you know, is one who. He's Optimus Prime, but he's, all, he's two what's. He's a, he's a robot warrior thing. And he's a diesel truck. So he's both right. <laughs> these two things. Truck from space. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> don't, don't overthink it. Um, so this so this isn't, again, this isn't like the the final word on this, but I think it's somewhat helpful in a basic way that to say that God is um, one what and three who's. So he's so God is the what mm-hmm. of, of divinity, and then Father, Son, and Spirit are the who's. So that's different than any human. No human could have multiple who, who's in that sense. And it's not that he shapeshifts between the three. That's where the Optimus Prime metaphor is not very helpful. Is of course, he's just shapeshifting or transforming. Yeah, transforming. To be, to be exact here. Um, it's not that he shapeshifts between the three, but these are distinct persons that make up one undivided divinity. So my point in explaining things this way is really just to, to emphasize we're speaking of two different aspects of who God is. The, the what and the who is a good way to, to on a basic level, think about that. Cool. So where do we see this in scripture? Yeah, we see it a lot of places. Um, and this is great if you're talking with someone who's Jehovah's Witness or Mormon who believes, at least theoretically, in the God of the Bible. They would claim that, but they don't believe in the God expressed in the Bible. They don't truly believe in the God of the yeah. Bible. They believe in an idol. So, But there's a good, few good places you can go here. So we can start in the first verses of the Bible, actually. Genesis chapter 1, right? So it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we are introduced to, the, to God. So we would say that's the Father. So God creates. And then the means that he's using, though, we see the Spirit of God is hovering on the face of the water. So mm-hmm. we see God's Spirit active and moving. Um, the, the rabbis in, in ancient times would speak of the Spirit as like a dove fluttering across the face of the waters. That's kind of the idea of him hovering Uh, And then verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God speaks, and life comes into existence, right? There's light first, and then the rest of the creation. And we know later on in Scripture that Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. So we see that as when Jesus, when God speaks or when he interacts with creation, he does it by means of his Son, is kind of the way that I would take that. So there's, there's a, we see in a sense all three persons of this trinity expressed in the first three verses of the Bible. And we see a mirror of this in the baptism of Jesus. Mm. So if you go to Matthew chapter 3, you can see this in a really helpful way as well. So Jesus, when he's being baptized in Matthew three sixteen, it says, Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, 
with whom I am well pleased. So the heavens are opened, the sun is in the water, the spirit is coming down like a dove. So we see once again, just like Genesis 1, we see the spirit kind of hovering over the waters. Mm -hmm. And this, what was originally a creative act, now it's a sort of a new creation of this salvation that's going to happen, right? Yeah. We see the plan of God expressed. And then we see that here the voice of the Father from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. So we see, again, all three persons of the Trinity in a way that mirrors or echoes the first words of the Bible. And so just as these three came together in creation in a perfect way, they're going to come together in salvation in a perfect way. We also see, I mean, several times, we can go to you know dozens of verses, but some of the prominent ones where all three persons are mentioned in a very clear, explicit way, one would be Matthew chapter 28. And this one is especially helpful because of the, the wording, and it's easy to miss, right? But as Jesus is giving his great commission in Matthew 28, he tells people in verse 19, so Matthew 28, 19, he says to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there's three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's significant because we realize these are three beings that are in some sort of unity. But one of the most important words in that phrase is the word name. Because you would expect if these are three completely distinct, different beings that aren't unified, that it would be, you baptize them in the names yeah, of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Not the name, singular, of three different persons. But what we see here is that the name, the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament, it belongs to all three. These are all one name. And so we see the fullness of that in the New Testament. And so this is a, a very helpful passage that reminds us of that trinitarian truth and whenever we baptize someone right when christians baptize they baptize in that name Mm -hmm. of all three persons that is a universal christian way of baptizing look at second corinthians 13 14 as well Um, this is a benediction but he says the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all so as he's kind of giving a benediction he's saying Grace of Jesus, the love of God, fellowship of the Spirit. So we see all three persons present in the blessing of believers. Or another good one is Ephesians 2.18, where it says, For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this is going to help us, and we'll look at this just briefly in a second, but it shows us some of the function of how the, these persons operate in the, cre- or in the uh, salvation act. So it's through Jesus, right, that we have access to the Father. So it's through his blood as he makes the way for us to know the Father. It's in the Spirit because the Spirit indwells us. Mm-hmm. So that's how we have the connection to the Father. And then the Father is sort of the, the one that we're brought to. He's, the, he's kind of the ultimate goal in a sense. So we have to be careful with that language as well. But So we can, we can also look at each individual person in the Bible uh, um, of the Trinity spoken of as God. So we'll look at that in future videos as to how, why the Father is, you know, what his kind of role is, verses about him, and then Spirit and Son as well. And each of them is clearly referred to as a person, first of all, but also as divine. Mm -hmm. And so there's just so much overwhelming evidence for that. Not that they are a God, not that they're an extra deity, but that they are the The God, God. the one unified God. That's good. So I have a question. Why would God not reveal the Trinity with perfect clarity in the Old Testament? 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I mean, uh, you know, there's arguments as to what degree that is revealed. Yeah. I would say there's plenty of pointers to it. There's plenty of hints at it. You know, when Jesus himself is referring to Psalm 110, he kind of points that out, right? Mm -hmm. That there's this Lord, Yahweh, and there's this other Lord that's over David. So there's kind of hints at different places. There's pictures of that. There's reference to the Spirit of God. All of these different places we can look at. But I would agree that the the Trinity's not revealed like this in the Old Testament. With, yeah. this, with this kind, I mean, this is extremely clear. So I think the the reason is helpful is because God, the revealing of the Trinity was was sort of part and parcel to the revealing of God's plan of salvation. Mm. So God waits on that, and we see the supreme unveiling of the Trinity in the two biggest acts of salvation in the forming of the church. So the incarnation, right, being one of the biggest acts where God actually enters into humanity. Mm -hmm. And then we see a real clear revelation of who the Son is, that he's distinct from the Father, what his role is going to be. And then, after the Son's death and resurrection and ascension, the giving of the Spirit. So the outpouring of the Spirit. So the incarnation and the outpouring of the Spirit are two distinct acts that allow God to really reveal what this Trinitarian relationship is all about. And it's about, you know, he's mobilizing the entire Trinity for salvation Mm. as a way of thinking about it another question is why does god have to be three persons yeah yeah Uh, it's a good question and i mean obviously god is who he is right so he is you know self-existent he he didn't necessarily decide i'm going to be this or that he is who he is um i guess that's a whole nother discussion i am who i am yeah yeah i mean so it's like he, he everything comes from him. So it's like I can use a rationale from this life and apply it to him per se. But I think one, I think, you know, the, the importance of understanding God in this way, one of the reasons is expressed in 1 John 4, 8. 1 John 4, 8, very famous verse. In fact, one that even many non-Christians could probably reference. Mm-hmm. They would know it was 1 John 4, 8. But 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So a lot of people can say, well, God is love, therefore whatever, right? Yeah. So God is love is a very you know famous quote, obviously. But I think many of us don't understand just how powerful this is. That God is love means that there's never been a time where God hasn't been loving. So mm-hmm. saying, I mean, there's three places in the Bible where we hear that God is something, right? We hear in Hebrews, God is a consuming fire. We hear in 1 John 1, God is light. And then we hear in 1 John 4, God is love. love. So these are very important statements about God. And of course, God is love is an incredibly powerful statement. He, God, The God of the Bible is different from other gods of other religions because the God of the Bible is fundamentally love. Mm-hmm. In other words, in order to be love, to be defined by love, you have to be in relationship, right? If you are a single um, single person in, in the Godhead as, as Allah would be or even the modern Jewish conception of God, then you would not have a, a relationship. So when you create humans, right, if you're that kind of a God, you're, at, you're doing something that's not necessarily natural to who you are, yeah. entering into a relationship with them. And that's why in, in Islam, the relational aspect of God is very, very different. It's not seen in the same way as it is in Christianity. Yeah. Whereas we see God is love because God has always been in this relationship of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. So that love has always existed. It's never been broken. And it reminds us that God creates us out of an overflow of who he himself is. 
So he creates us because relationship is natural to him. Because love is natural to him, right? It's not something foreign or something forced. So I think that's one reason why um, it's very important to understand God in this way. And we'll get into some other practical stuff, you know, yeah. Yeah. How does this affect us practically? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's great. We'll just kind of go into that and then we can kind of end on this note. Um, so, yeah, it's easy to just be like, well, who cares? Right. I know there's yeah. someone out there who's watching who's like all this kind of gobbledygook. Like, why don't we just all, you know, there's there's a God out there. He's powerful. Who cares how you name him or how you define him? Why does that matter? And mm-hmm. it matters for a lot of reasons. First of all, it matters who you worship not just that you're worshiping, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just like it matters who you're who you're married to, not just that you're, you know, kind of, oh, I'm married. Yeah, like, exactly. Well, who exactly are you married to? That changes a lot of things. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, the prime sin, the ultimate sin is idolatry. Mm-hmm. And I would say in the New Testament too, right? And idolatry is not just worshiping a false god. It's also having a wrong conception of the true God, mm-hmm. right? Because when you have a wrong conception of the true God, you end up worshiping a false God. Yeah, exactly. Right? So if you redefine him. So to use an illustration I took from uh, my professor, Abner Chow, you know, good good friend of mine. If I were to buy my wife roses and chocolates and I were to write her a beautiful love note for Christmas and I were to say, you know, Laura, I love your blonde hair and your blue eyes. And, <laughs> you know, I were to go on and on. And just give her this awesome, awesome gift and give it to her, she would react in anger to me, right? Imagine that she says in return, as you know, obviously, my wife has brown hair and green eyes. She does not have, she does not look like that. So who am I writing this letter to? And then if she would also say, you know, I'm also lactose intolerant and I'm also allergic to roses and, you know, you could go on and on, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, she's not. But if you were to give a gift, it could actually be an insult because you don't know the person that you're giving the gift to. If you write a love note, it's it's wrong if you're writing it to the wrong aspects of that person. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important that you understand. So the Trinity helps us distinguish false gods from the true God. That is so crucial, so important. It's like knowing, again, who is your wife and who isn't your wife so you can refrain from committing adultery. That is extremely important. So we do not worship the same God as uh, modern Jews or Muslims or any of those other false false religions and praise God that we don't. Yeah, praise God. So that's one thing. It matters who you worship, and you have to know who you're worshiping. Second, this doctrine leads us to adore mm. God and to be amazed at God. It's not just that we should you know, have kind of right doctrine, and that's a good thing. Of course it's a good thing, but that should lead us to be in awe of who God is. Um, he, the, the Trinity shows us that God is the eternally loving, eternally self-sufficient, eternally happy being, and he is beyond our understanding. So it reminds us of all of those things. And God did not create us because he was lacking something. Yeah. He didn't create us because he needed something from us because he was just lonely up in heaven and mm-hmm. just really wanted a buddy. Like I think often we can think that way. No, God has everything he needs in the Godhead, and so we should just be in awe of him because of this doctrine. Third, the Trinity helps us to accurately understand salvation itself. It helps us understand the origin of salvation, that salvation wasn't an accident in history. It was the intentional plan of God from the beginning. Um, It helps us understand its execution, how it was carried out, 
by the Trinity, that, that the Father had to send the Son, mm. the Son had to enter into humanity, right? Take our sin upon himself. That's an act specific to him. Mm-hmm. And then send the Spirit to apply that work to our hearts. So it's not that we can believe on our own. We need the Spirit to come inside of us and give us the new birth, mm-hmm. as we see in John chapter 3. So the Spirit plays this essential and underrated role in salvation of actually um, causing us to believe and giving us the new birth and helping us to be sanctified, right? Sanctifying us by God's grace through our entire life and keeping us safe. We're sealed by the Spirit, right? Keeping us safe till the end. Again, we'll look into more of those things later. It helps us remember the essence of salvation, that um, that we aren't just given a distant love from God. We're actually called to be to enter into the love of the Trinity. So when we become one with Christ in salvation, we're united with Him, and we receive the same benefits, the same kind of love that the Son Himself receives. Right. So we receive the inheritance that belongs to Jesus Christ. So we're not just second-class citizens. We're caught up into the love of the Trinity. That so anyway, that's that's just mind blowing. It's awesome, yeah. And it reminds us of the goal of salvation, right? That one day we'd be in perfect conformity to the Son by the power of the Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Mm. And so it reminds us of where we're headed. So, so it helps us with salvation. It also informs us how to pray. You know, if you see a lot of the prayers in Scripture, the majority of prayers are to the Father in the name of the Son. It's a common formula, and through the power of the Spirit. Mm. So the Spirit enables us, as we see in Romans 8, the Spirit is you know, crying in our hearts with groans too deep for words, right? So the Spirit helps us to pray, and then we, we do it through the power of the Son, so we can say, I have a right, in a sense, to come before the Father because I am in the Son, and I've been covered by the blood of Jesus, and then we pray to the, to the Father. Mm. That's good. And then the last thing is it, it gives us confidence in evangelism. Right, there's a reason why why Jesus brings this up in Matthew 28 at this kind of culmination of his ministry as he's sending the disciples out, and it's because these three persons of the Trinity are working together in unity to accomplish this mission through the people of God. So we are enabled in an, in an incredible way. Otherwise, this work of evangelism could never be accomplished. We could never disciple the nations without um, God, God working through us with the power of Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm. So those are a few things. Again, we could talk about this all day. It's a great topic. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to kind of give you some basic information, and I hope that's, that's helpful.